Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From Luke's Gospel, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. It might surprise you to know that I wasn't always a Christian, maybe nominally, on a good day. (laughs) But in fact, when I was a teenager, and teenager even into my early 20s, I considered Christians actually to be kind of naive and silly and uninformed and fearful and all the... uh, all the uh, derogatory comments that our culture believes about Christianity, you know, I believed those too for a while. In fact, in my early 20s, you may know my story, I was in graduate school working on a PhD in industrial psychology. I taught statistics and scientific research methodology to undergrads. I was only 21 years old, but uh, that was my context. And I remember being downtown in Raleigh, North Carolina, at a, uh, a pub with some friends, and we were driving back, back to the campus, and uh, there was a guy on the side of the road that had a sign, and the sign said, repent, the Lord is coming. And I thought, what a stupid man. After all, hey, come on, right? These, these are primitive Christians who just believe in fairy tales, I thought, I knew better, man. Here I was, a 22-year-old PhD student with a, free, a full ride teaching undergrads. I taught statistics and scientific method, methods. I was a scientist after all. I still am a left-brain engineer type, if you know me. And there's no way I was going to fall for that malarkey, that hocus-pocus, that end-of-the-world claptrap. No thanks. And I'm certainly not going to get schooled by some redneck from North Carolina. No siree, not me. And after all, as if any of you have spent any time in academics, you know in academia, everybody knows that Christianity is all about fear and control. That's what I thought. And you know, <laughs> until it occurred to me one day, uh, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if... Again, if you're, going to be, if you're going to question your assumptions, you've got to question your assumptions. If you're going to be a scientific left-brain guy, which I was and still am, you've got to question what you believe and think. Hold it to the task. What if I was wrong? <laughs> what if Jesus' words, listen, about the end of the world, weren't a threat, but a loving warning? What if Jesus' words weren't a threat for power, and control. What if it's a loving warning? See, there's really only two ways to commit this problem. There's really only two ways to make sense of Jesus, period. It's simple, but I submit it to you like this. Either, either Jesus Christ is a liar, or Jesus Christ tells the truth. (laughs) If Jesus Christ is a liar, then you can dispense with the whole thing, man. Jesus loves you, or God loves you, and all the stuff that we love to believe about Jesus. If he's a liar, you know what? Get rid of him. But, 
if Jesus tells the truth, and I submit to you, he does, then what he tells us is true. If someone tells the truth, then what they say is true, right? And that means that what, if what he says is true, you've got to believe what he says, no matter how painful or difficult or challenging or politically incorrect it may be. I'll give you an example. And this makes the obvious point. It doesn't take a whole lot to think through this. Say you go to the doctor. Hey, doc, I'm not feeling well. And they do a scan or whatever on you, an MRI, whatever it takes. And doc comes back and says, man, I got some bad news. I found a mass. And it's cancer. And the doctor says, if you don't treat it aggressively with surgery and chemo, it will kill you. Would you ever in your mind accuse the doctor of trying to manipulate you or control you or he's lying to you? Well, doc, that's offensive. Or do you hear what the doctor says and do it? <laughs> Only a fool only a fool would hear a doctor's warning and willfully ignore it. And friend, it's no different with Jesus. If he tells the truth, and I submit to you that he does, no one ever accused him of being deceptive. If he tells us the truth, then we've got to listen to what he says, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the end of the world, and we're going to unpack Jesus' words today, because today, as you know, is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent, the word Adventus, it means to expect or to wait for. Advent, in case you don't know this, Advent is not the pregame show to Christmas. Can we all just understand that? Advent is not the pregame show to Christmas. Advent is not about a preparation for Jesus' birth. After all, Jesus was already born. I will turn 50 years old in two or three weeks, and we're not going to have a birthday, get my birth, a celebration getting ready for my birth. I've already been born. Advent is not about Jesus' first coming, friends. It is about his second coming. It is about the end of the world. And there's three points briefly, briefly today that I want to talk about that come right out of the text. The first one is the fear of his return. The second point is the security for believers. And the third point is our call, your call, my call, to be ready. The fear of his return, the security for the believer, and our call to be ready. So the first point here is the terror of Jesus' return. Uh, Jesus actually paints a pretty terrifying picture of the end of the world. He describes it with lots of different imagery that comes out of the Old Testament, but I'm going to just read a snippet for you. He says, um, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on the earth distress of nations because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Now, let me just stop for a second and just make a point that this is actually called Jewish apocalyptic literature. It's not necessarily meant to be taken literally. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. And all of these images about the sun and the moon and the stars and the water and storms, that all comes out of apocalyptic literature from the Old Testament, from Daniel and Isaiah and other places. But the point is, in all of this, the point Jesus is making is that when the end of the world describe, comes, it will be a complete and utter breakdown of society. Complete and utter terror. The stock market in tatters. Plagues. War. The zombie apocalypse. Never know. 
And the point I want you to see here is if Jesus' words, if Jesus' words to you about the end of the world sound alarmist or extreme, if part of you, when you hear this language, wants to sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, come on, man, spare me. Well, let me just submit to you. The reason this is so unfathomable to you is because you have drank the Kool-Aid. You and I, our culture has drank the Kool-Aid of the Enlightenment, which says that cultures must inexorably go forward. We must inexorably get better. Progress! But the facts don't really bear that out, do they? You know, there were more people killed in war in the 20th century than all of the 19th centuries before it combined. Let me challenge you this morning to put away this naive idea that we all fall into because our culture prescribes it, that the world is always going to get better, that it is inevitable we'll have progress, that moving forward is the way of the future, progress. That's not true. That is not true. Yeah, we have iPads, and yeah, we have Alexa, which I still can't figure out. <laughs> and yes, we've got 4K televisions, which I have figured out and I enjoy very much. But, you know, Russia and the Ukraine are at it again. Kids still die. People still get sold into sex trafficking. Point one, friends, the terror of Jesus' return is this. It's real. It will get worse, Jesus says. But here's the clincher. He says, don't sweat it. Didn't say it like that. <laughs> he says, don't be afraid. Let me show you. Point two, security for the believer. Look at this. This is so cool. Verse 28, Jesus says, you know, the world is crumbling and falling apart. The bottom falls out. Society is completely destroyed. And he says in verse 28, now, when these things begin to take place, run away. Oh, that's not what he says. He says, when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and raise your head. Straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. See, here's what, this is the remarkable thing that Jesus tells us. As the world crumbles, Jesus says, you, Christians, are to stand up and cheer. You are to stand up, which is a Jewish image of defiance, frankly, and look up, waiting for, your, waiting for good news. You are to act like Penn State just beat Ohio State, which might actually not happen. The last coming might come before that ever happens. <laughs> well, here's the thing. But let me just ask you a question. It's not obvious if I point it out to you. Why on earth, if the world is crumbling away, do we stand up with joy? That's nonsense. Or is it? Well, Jesus tells us why. He says, lift up your heads and straighten up and lift up your heads. Why, Jesus? He tells you. Listen, because, because your redemption is drawing near. What does that mean? Well, that word for redemption is the word, which it's a Greek word, obviously. The entire New Testament is in Greek. But the Greek word there means the redemption is the person who pays your ransom. The redemption that draws near while the world cowers in fear, friends, we rise as Christians in victory because our king has returned to pay our debt, to rescue us, to save us, to save you. If Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you, to punch your ticket, to pay for your sins, which you nor I cannot pay for, 
then for God's sake, if he's already paid the debt, if he's paid the price, why do you worry about dumb stuff? Christians throughout history have always had this defiant streak, up until pretty recently, frankly, because I think we've had it too easy. But the church has always had this defiant streak in it, a complete disregard for the power structures of this world, a complete confidence, rather, that no matter what the world dishes out against you, no matter what comes at you, bring it. Who cares? Because Jesus is coming back to get you. If you know your history, in the first century, the Romans tried to stamp out the church. The Romans were good at two things, building stuff and killing people, right? And the Romans, what they would do in the, uh, during the persecutions in the early church, they would go to churches, which were small, or Christian families, they would round them up, and they would take whole families, groups of people, all of us together, to the Colosseum, stripped naked, and killed in all sorts of creative ways, eviscerated, you know, cut from stem to stern, burned alive, fed to the lions, crucified, lit on fire. The Romans were very, very creative when it came to killing people, I will confess. And the Roman historians make a remarkable reference in history. They say that as the Christians were brought into the Colosseum for slaughter, and the crowd cheered, yeah, let them have it. As they were being led, friends, to certain death, they did not plea for mercy. They did not beg for charity. Do you know what they did? They sang hymns to God. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a church faced with persecution and death and all sorts of despicable ways singing hymns to God en route? Why would you do that? Because they knew that their redemption was, was near. They had trust in Jesus that he was, he was truthful and he would keep his word and that he would save them. Here's the question for you. Do you have faith like that? Do you? James says, here's another counterintuitive idea. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why on earth would somebody say count it joy when you're suffering? Well, the only way you can make joy in suffering is when you realize that suffering makes you stronger. The only way that you can, you can have joy in suffering is when you know that Jesus' promise to save you is real. The only way you and I can be joyful in suffering is to know that Jesus is coming back to get us. Here's the question. Do you live that way? You say it every Sunday. Do we really believe it? Are we expectant? Do we wait for his return? So we see the terror of his return. We see the security and the joy for believers. And then finally, we say the call to be ready. If Jesus says, if you are going to be fearless, verse 34, watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down in dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, the things you worry about. And then that day, listen to this, comes upon you suddenly like a trap. Anybody here ever, uh, ever trap an animal? Yes? No? Anybody ever? We had, a, we had a raccoon in our house a couple years back, four or five years ago. This thing actually climbed up the side of the house to the second floor, chewed through the stucco, got into the attic, and had babies. And uh, 
So we had to hire someone to come out and put a trap out. What is a trap? A trap is where you put something out there, a shiny object or something which is appealing, and then the animal crawls into it and completely unawares, bam, door shuts. The image here that Jesus is talking about is a snare. You know, a snare is a piece of rope you put on the ground, and an animal walks through it and gets slung and put up a tree. Jesus is saying, look, be careful of the things of this world, the things that you worry about, the concerns of this life. They are a snare. They will catch you unaware. He's not saying that as a threat, but as a warning. They will distract you from him. They're bait. Watch out. So here's my question for you. What are the things that pull you away from God? What are they? You all know what they are. What are the things that distract you from him? Well, probably, they're probably good things, actually. Your family or your finances or your whatever, your, even your church service. But what are the things that distract you away from him? Friends, they can be a trap. He says, be ready, a snare. Let me be completely blunt. If I've not been blunt enough this morning, let me be blunt. Here it is. Somebody once said this to me, and it knocked me for a loop, so it will probably knock you for a loop as well. Here goes. For you, the world will end in your lifetime. For you, friends, and me, the world will end in your lifetime. So be ready. Here's a gut check. How is your relationship with God? Are you ready? You know, our relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, works exactly the same way as our relationship with anybody else. Imagine having a, a, a relationship with your wife you didn't talk to, or that you went to see once a month. <laughs> or right, you had a relationship with your children that you stopped in at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> or you had people that you didn't speak with or talk to, or really care a whole lot about. Are you going to have a living, life-transforming relationship with that person? And the answer is, no. Relationships take work with people or with God, friends. And if we don't set aside time for him, we are setting aside time for something else, which is a snare. At the very least, at the very least, weekly attendance at church, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Not because God needs you, but because you need him. He will not walk away from you, but a lot of people walk away from him. Friends, Jesus says, be careful. Don't neglect your relationship with him. The worries and pleasures of this world are a trap. Be on guard. Stay focused. Be frosty. You weren't made to fit in, friends. You were made to stand out. You were not made to fit in. You were made to stand out. If Jesus were to come back today, are you ready? If you were to die today, are you ready? There's an old Chinese proverb, and I know it's true because I got it on a fortune cookie once. It says, may you live in interesting times. Well, in other words, the world is always changing. Threats come and go. The world, but even so, the world for you will end in your lifetime. But if God is in control, and he is, and if therefore we know that all the current struggles that we deal with, the worries and concerns of this life are only temporary, then just stay focused on him and all shall be well. Because in the end, what Jesus is saying is, you know, bad stuff will happen. Things will go wrong. You will have problems in this world. 
but I've overcome it, he says. And in the end, there is nothing to fear. Not even, not even, the end of the world. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus' words to us, a warning to stay frosty and be attentive and come back to you when we have gone astray. Lord, keep our eyes forward and our heads up as we wait for Jesus' return when the dead shall be resurrected and justice will be served. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.